Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, experts like today, and moms around the world. My daughter Sabrina turns four on September 11th coming up, and my little Eliza, she's not such a newborn anymore, she's turning six weeks old. We have uh, awoken the dragon. That baby is awake now, and she has found her voice, and she really likes to cuddle. And uh, I've lost all my time, all my time. But no surprise, there is always time to panic. And when I'm up at 2 a.m. feeding Eliza, I'll turn on the news, and um, they're evacuating homes nearby the largest fire in Los Angeles history, or uh, they're showing images of the destruction of the fourth largest city in America, which was my hometown. Um, We don't know where Hurricane Irma is going to hit yet, but my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their kids are heading out of state because they live in Miami, which might be in the path of destruction. And how could I forget about North Korea? I have no idea how I'd parent through a crisis. I have a hard enough time getting through the day without having to go through something like an evacuation uh, while still keeping it together for my kids. So I reached out to Stephanie Small. She is recognized by leading physicians in Los Angeles for her treatment of medical trauma in children and adults. In addition to her private practice of over 25 years, Stephanie has lectured locally, nationally, and internationally on issues concerning childhood and adolescent trauma. She recently consulted with state and local officials following the recent shootings in San Bernardino, Paris, Sandy Hook, and Aurora, Colorado. Also, she was on the ground in Katrina. Basically, if you name a horrible event, there's a good chance Stephanie Small has shown up and made things a little better. That's not like a part of her bio. I added that, obviously. (laughs) Maybe it should be a part of her bio. Oh, this should not be a single conversation. It just shouldn't. And that's probably why I jumped around so much because I was trying to cram so much in. Um, We hit on a lot of different topics but they're all important. Basically, I'm trying to get information out there for mothers who are in crisis mode. Uh, And no, I don't think they are listening to a parenting podcast right about now, but I do think that there's information that we can hear and either pass on to them or we can use to help better support them. And I also just wanted to have some information for the rest of us just in case and also just for the day-to-day stressors. She's got a lot of really excellent tips. Uh, For example, how do you help your child go back to school if they're anxious? How do you help your kid in an evacuation situation? How do you handle your child's worry and your own? Um, What if you're ever in a car accident or if you get hurt and you have to wait for medical personnel? Like, how do you keep your children calm? Guys, it's not, a, it's not a funny episode, that's for sure. Um, my best friend, Amanda, she's been volunteering uh, nonstop in Houston. Uh, her husband's actually in charge of coordinating the shelters. His name is Mark Eichenbaum. 
and Amanda is uh, she's been volunteering tirelessly there, and she would say, "So is everyone else. So is everyone else. Don't talk about me. So is everyone else." Um, but I will say that yesterday she shared with me that there was a five-day-old baby there at the George R. Brown Convention Center, um, which is where we had our high school graduation. Actually, keep thinking about the babies and the children, and uh, I want to thank all of you for donating to our CrowdRise.com backslash Atomic Moms Fund that goes directly to save the children for Hurricane Harvey. In one week, Atomic Mamas, we raised two thousand five hundred dollars. That's going directly to save the children. So here's where that money is going to be used. Uh, Delivering family-friendly relief supplies, including cribs, strollers, changing tables, baby shampoo, diapers, and baby-safe portable tubs. Setting up child-friendly spaces and shelters where kids can play and learn while parents manage their family's emergency needs. And Save the Children is also providing specially trained staff to help children deal with difficult emotions that can come up during disasters. Uh, helping children's emotional well-being is certainly what our guest today is all about. Uh, and I have to thank my high school girlfriend, Katie Gonzalez, for sharing her thoughts on motherhood and Hurricane Harvey in a recent Facebook post. I think it gives a really good perspective of what a lot of mothers are feeling in Houston, the ones that were not directly affected by the storm in terms of their homes. She wrote, Among the other needs in our city, please pray for all the sweet children like mine. They are safe, they are healthy, and will never stop being thankful for that. But also, they are so out of whack. They don't understand what's going on. They are not eating or sleeping right. They are irritable and clingy and having accidents and fighting. I can't seem to get much sleep lately that doesn't involve at least one little one under my arm. It was already challenging at the end of the summer when we were out of our normal routine. We were so looking forward to the structure of work and school. It's hard right now at home. It's hard for them and it's hard for me. It's hard for me to be there for them when my heart is constantly breaking for my neighbors, when we are recovering from an event that might have threatened our very lives. On top of that, I constantly feel guilty that it's hard for me when it could be so much worse. It's so much worse, so close by for so many people. I'm trying to relish the sweet good moments. My children are challenging me, but they are also lifting me up. They are so wonderful. There are so many moments of redemption in between the outbursts. We play, we read, we create, we talk. Amelia sounded out the word forest this morning and spelled it correctly. Penelope keeps giving me presents and making me quote-unquote food. This was our morning snuggle after waking, and it was the sweetest time. There's a children's song by Charlie Hope that we listen to often at bedtime. It, the lyric is, the best part of my day is when I'm with you. Truth. Please pray for the children in all of this. Pray for the leaders like my mom and my boss who are working tirelessly to figure out how to bring normalcy back to them through a return to school. Pray for parents like my cousin who have been separated from their little ones for days as they do their job fighting for the lives and well-being of others also in their care. Pray for the guardians who are working to keep vulnerable little ones safe as they are displaced from their homes. And pray that whenever they can, our kids all over the city and greater area are able to be kids playing, whining, giggling, climbing, snuggling kids. Thank you, Katie, for writing that. 
Okay, everyone, let's get problem solving. (laughs) I'll be right back with our trauma expert, Stephanie Small. Stephanie Small, thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms, especially so last second. Uh, I asked you yesterday. I just had this pressing need to get information out there uh, to my home state and everyone else that's being affected. You know, we're keeping our eye on the storm that's heading toward, is it heading towards Florida now or the Carolinas? Uh, It feels like there's a lot going on. Last night, uh, we were watching Burbank burning. There was a huge fire miles from our home. And uh, it feels like there's a lot going on. So thank you again, Stephanie, for holding our hands and helping us be better parents at this time. I want to start off by asking you, what advice do you have for mothers who have been watching the horrors on the news? And, uh, you know, the mother who drowned and her toddler was holding onto her body and was rescued. You know, I just can't get that out of my head or these other images. And we're beginning to feel anxious sort of about our own family security. Is there anything so that we can stay more present and not just sort of spin out? (laughs) Right. That's a, that's a great, that's a great question. And that's something that's being invited into my office and into places that I'm speaking at currently constantly. And um, one of the things is, unfortunately, we do have to limit the amount of news that we can take in. There's, we are inundated. Um, but I think beforehand, what I always try to get my families to do is come up with some what we call resource, resources, things that make us feel calmer, maybe safer, maybe peaceful. Um, so when we part of the work I do, I do somatic experiencing work, but I also do um, Attachment focus EMDR, Dr. Laura Parnell's work. And what what is EMDR, real quick? Okay, so EMDR is, they would not have named it this, but they did, um, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So kind of the short version of it is that trauma comes in and you get exposed to a traumatic situation. And so it's too much, it's too big, it overwhelms our nervous system. So our body tries to figure out a way of coping with it. So what happens is that it, it comes into our body and it's almost like as if somebody put it through a shredder and it gets stored into the right side of our brain, more of our creative side of our brain. And it kind of stays there. And we're fine until we are triggered or we are activated. And then it feels like we're having it happened all over again. So when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, that's a perfect example. It's like, of course, if we let's even go further back, we'll go to Vietnam War or World War II. We're not in those wars anymore, but when there's certain triggers that trigger it, those at that time, it was only men fighting in our armed forces, they feel like it's happening right now. We see that even with our soldiers that are come back from Afghanistan and Iraq. So that's trauma. So once it gets activated, it feels like it's happening right now. So how do we relate it to what's going on now, whether if we just take the fires? So every person has a different reaction to fires, but if you're somebody that went through the San Bernardino fires, um, several years back where it was just, it was a disaster um, area. Those people hearing another fire is happening and, they, and if they're seeing those images, it feels like they're re-experiencing what they went through, even though that the tra- even though that trauma is over and they've rebuilt their lives. We think, oh, just because you rebuilt it, it's everything's fine. Well, part of it is that 
there's a lot of therapists out there that we've developed other techniques to actually let the body know that it's really over. And one of the things that we did in Louisiana, I went on three different groups that went over there, is that we worked with all first responders. And um, so firefighters, police officers, therapists, nurses, doctors, teachers, clergy, so you name it, anybody who was like their first responder who would go back out into their community and help these people. This is and during we gave Katrina. Them another, this was during Katrina and Rita. So we're kind of, I'm comparing more apples to apples with Hurricane Harvey because it was truly a disaster area as well, just like what they're experiencing. Except this is even bigger in terms of how much the flooding and how far it's actually stretching out. But one of the th- first things that we did when we'd go into a, d- a disaster zone is that instead of telling everybody, tell me everything that you remember, we asked the question, when did you know it was over? And people would look at us completely perplexed, like we were had two heads. And they go, what do you mean? It's a different way to act. It's a different way of processing it. And that, God, that's and such a great way to, because, oh, so smart. Go on. Sorry. I'm just geeking out because it's such no, a great no, no. way to do it because then suddenly instead of just going into the deep end, it's sort of like, what was that moment where you felt a little bit of relief, right? Exactly. And then you can exactly, stick your big exactly. toe into it versus just exactly. cannonballing in. Exactly. I'm thinking I've just got a muscle through mm-hmm. it. And everybody thinks like, because people can look completely high functioning and that there's not, you know, that there's nothing going on, except we know that there's a lot going on. And some of that work came out of Peter Levine and then um, Elaine, Elaine uh, Miller-Karras. And she mm-hmm. put together a protocol, which was called, at that point, it was called trauma first aid. And so that's really what we were trying to do is just try to re-regulate people. Because walking to Louisiana, People look like they were drunk, and mm-hmm. they weren't. Their bodies, remember all the floods, so everybody was walking through the waters. And their water, their water has snakes in it. So they're walking as if they are drunk. Same thing with kids. They, they not Because they're not in their bodies. It wasn't safe to put their feet on the ground. And so we developed a way to going in there and started working with people. And what happened is that they started dropping back into their bodies. And we, they were part of a study that we had gotten and we followed up with them a year later, two years later. And their post-traumatic stress was either not, it, it was either non-existent or it was very, very little because their body ended up learning that it was over. And, and so when it, how it relates to kids is that kids are incredibly resilient. And there's a lot of things that we can do to help them. Part of it being a parent, as you know, being a parent of, uh, of your kids, is that your nervous system regulates your child's nervous system. So if you're calmer, they will, they will automatically go calmer. With mothers who are, let's say, that they, they've never experienced a natural disaster personally, they're just watching it on the news, your advice would be turn off the news and, and you were saying to resource. So that's, does it mean that I... I make a sort of a mental list of things that make me feel good and whole, like the idea of my newborn baby's little, like holding her little feet in my hands. So if I'm starting to feel the stress, I can visualize that. And and that's a way of resourcing. 
Can you go a little further exactly. into that? If I could get every family in the world, <laughs> if you ask my opinion, if I could have my magic wish, is that I would have every family develop for each person in their family because my resources can't be your resources. Each person has got to be unique and authentic to that person. And so what's a resource? It's anything. It's so a resource is so there's different types of resources. Um, there's like coming up with a peaceful place, you know, and a peaceful place can be anything that makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel calm, makes you feel like this is that perfect moment. Every time I see, think of myself sitting on the beach in Hawaii, my feet are in the warm sand and I'm looking at, I'm looking at the sun setting on the water. I just feel peaceful inside. Or when I look at my dog running down the hall, running towards me, uh, it just makes me feel like there's more room inside. So it's coming up with as many of your own resources. So that would be one. So like a peaceful place. Another resource, and this is a great thing to do for ourselves and then do it with your children. So I'm going to show you both ways to do it. If we picked a protective figures, it can be real or imaginary. It can be people that are in your lives. So it can be, you know, it may be your father, it may be an uncle, it may be, um, it may be some strong woman. Some people will pick Wonder Woman. Some people will pick, um, they'll pick uh, Mother Teresa. It can be anything that's authentic to you. And what I do with kids is that I take envelopes and I'll put protective figures. And if they want to draw them, they can draw them. If they want me just to write it for them. I write it out and I'll put it on little and I'll put it on little cards for them. Um, we'll put it in sometimes it's magazine clippings. So you can be really creative with kids, right? So my boy's at Superman, it's Spider-Man, it's a Hulk. It can be anything and it can also be people in their lives. For kids, I create magic envelopes and like and so I put it outside on each one of the envelopes. And then I go to what are nurturing figures? So it can be animals, it can be people, it can be um it can be magical. They can make it up. And that's for adults and children. There is no, there is no right way to do it. And you can, and it's always telling kids you can't do it wrong. And as they start doing it, and as we start doing it, we get really good at it. We might start adding to our list. And then there are wise figures. Like sometimes we just need some extra wisdom. And somebody, it could be somebody's priest, rabbi, Reverend, it, it could be anybody, somebody in history. I want to know what President Lincoln would tell us to do right now. It, it could be anything we want it to be. And again, we make a list and it's and more than one. You want to keep expanding on it. So with the kids, I create the different envelopes. And then I'll go ahead and I'll make them. Um, I always tell them, I'm going to make you a master list and I'm going to laminate it so you always have it. So when the kids, when they're younger at school, I'll get, I'll put it on the laminate and I'll put it in their little cubby at school and they can look at it. So when they're feeling, you know, they're not feeling regulated, they can look at those things. And those are things that will instantly calm them down at home. If you've done your list and your, and your spouse has done their list, um, you always, one, you can look at your list because our kids, we can love them, but they can also make us crazy. And yet Mm -hmm. we don't want to give them a harsh answer. Mm-hmm. It's a way of calming ourselves down before right. we actually say something to them. And you can also say to your kids, you know what? You need a couple minutes. Go through your list. Just keep going through your list and just read through your list. And you'll see their bodies will calm down. And sometimes they'll say, well, can I borrow your list? And because it's your child, you can go, sure, go ahead. Use my list. And just because it's yours, it's enough to calm them down. 
What's the so youngest age you could start this skills. with? I mean, I feel like I could do this with my almost four-year-old. Oh, I do. I've done it with kids that are, I have a kid, he's 18 months old and we started doing this with them. And we do it all through pictures for him. He needs pictures and he, he knows the things that he likes. He's going through incredibly invasive medical procedures and he takes this everywhere he goes and he keeps adding to it, to the list. And so as he's getting more and more verbal, he's adding more to the list. So you really, you can do it. You know, you just help them a little bit, like, cause you'll know, you know what they like, whether it be their blanket or their binky or, mm-hmm. it's, you know, or it's grandpa, grandma, you can start helping them and you can see how they respond when it's, they're watching, you know, um, you know, the or, programs yeah. that are appropriate for them. Elmo, right. And you put those things, are the one, are the silly ones that make them laugh? Cookie Monster. It's like Cookie Monster's on his list. So I got a thing, oh. a picture of Cookie Monster, and I put it on there because sometimes he just wants to laugh. And that's what he uses when he gets his shots. I'm thinking you could also make like little chat books, you know, where you could upload these images and then make a tiny little book that they could take with them. I might do that with Sabrina. She's been having a lot of, my almost four-year-old's having a lot of separation anxiety at night because the newborn is in our bedroom. And so she will cry out and say Mm -hmm. that she's lonely. But if maybe if I make a book of those images, even to be like a little bedtime story that she can refer to, that that would be helpful. Exactly. And I'll give you one other trick and parents can do this anywhere because like there's a lot of tension in the world and there's a lot of parents that are dysregulated. Wherever you fall on the political spectrum is, is, is fine, but kids are picking up on it and there's that, you know, but people are angrier and people are fighting more and they're hearing it. We think that they don't understand, but they understand whatever they understand, but they understand it's not okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I also like to do, and I do it especially for my kids that go away to sleepaway camp. I'll have them um, take a picture of um, a mom and a picture of dad or the, or the second parent. And I'll put a picture on one side of the pillowcase and I'll put another picture on the other side of the pillowcase. And then you have to wash it. You have to wash it several times. So it's nice and soft because you can do photos transfers. None oh, of these things cost hardly any money and then they can sleep on it. And that because they're visual, right? They're so yeah. little, they're visual. The reason why you have to wash it several times, and then I even say sleep with it for one night, because then it'll smell like you. Just that comfort of knowing and just seeing it, because they need the visual cues. That is so brilliant. Also, because when Sabrina started preschool at age two, I, I was, I really kind of freaked out for that first day because we were asked to bring a little Ziploc bag with some snacks and a letter to them in case there was a earthquake and we wouldn't be able to reach them or some other emergency, uh-huh. which is a real way to like set up major anxiety in a parent the first day you're ever dropping your kid off. Right, right. But I think the reason why I was also anxious is because I knew like, who is going to read my kid this letter? Because you're like, there's one teacher and they're going to be dealing with bigger things. This is such a better idea to have these visual right. cues so that my daughter could go to her cubby and have and have the comfort without it being words that don't make any sense to her. Exactly. And the reason also why you do a picture book, like, so I like for all kindergartners and I don't know why all schools won't do this because I keep telling everybody to do it. And the schools that do it, they have a hundred percent success rate. Take it, you take a picture, you just take a little photo, I'm a small one, right? And you put Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on it. And then you put your, you put a picture of you in each day doing something different and nothing fun. <laughs> like don't take the picture, don't do the Disneyland picture, right. but like grocery shopping, things that she knows that you do. 
And all the only cue that a teacher has to give them, because once, okay, so once they're out of their window of tolerance, so, you know, when we're feeling happy and joyful and relaxed and calm, our window of tolerance is nice and large, right? We have that big, we can take in a lot of things. Right. Right now, Stephanie, with a new, with an infant, I am, I have a very low level of tolerance. Exactly. And that's, and, and with all these disasters and it's like, oh, the fire, I was thinking, oh my gosh, San Bernardino and the hurricane. And I remember being in Louisiana for six weeks and, and trying to help these people. And, you know, it's like, you can't help but relive it. (sighs) But on those picture books, all you have to do is put every day of the week, you can do a mommy book, a daddy book, or a daddy, daddy, or mommy, mommy book. And then you have every day of the week. And all the teacher has to notice is that, I, you know what? Do you want to look at your mommy book today, or do you want to look at your daddy book? And then, and they'll go, oh. And then you just ask them, what's your what's today? Oh, today's Wednesday. Let's see what mommy does on Wednesdays. And they look at that, and it says, you instantly have calmed your child because their window of tolerance collapses on themselves, and then they get um, tunnel vision, and yeah. they have a sense of like, oh, you guys don't exist anywhere in the world now. This can happen in your home. Having have your little one ever come freaking out and you're like, I'm just in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. She was in the bedroom. Something scared her. And then all of a sudden, it's like she she couldn't orient herself to where you were. And so if she doesn't know where you are, she, does, she doesn't exist. And, so, and that's part of what in, increases their anxiety. But once they see a picture, oh, right, that's where mommy is. And that's that reminder. So they need visual because when we're freaked out, this is adults and children. We're in our animal brain. We're in the reptilian brain. It's fight, flight, or a freeze response. That's why when people are talking and talking at you, calm down, calm down. We don't hear anything. And for kids, since we tower over them, it looks like aggression. It looks like a, like a lion's going to bite your head off. Mm-hmm. But if you go ahead and you touch them on their shoulders, or because it's your child, you can touch her on her chest, you can rub her back, and you just use the nonverbal words, and you just do even that, you know, there's that quiet sound that you, that you make will calm her down or just like start showing her just some pictures and just, or you just talk to her really, really softly and gently because they're, they're, they're feeling crazed and it's the same thing. So they can either be where they're mute or that they're screaming and they're running completely out of control. Mm -hmm. And that is really where we need to hold them closer. And that's really what they're, would be dealing with in um, when they're doing the rescues and all of that stuff that they're dealing with in Texas. I'd like to ask you about the rescues because you see the children that have been um, rescued via helicopter and I mean, these are little yeah. babies or toddlers, and a lot of the toddlers look frozen. They are. What advice do you have for a parent? And this can also relate to uh, parents, again, that haven't experienced a natural disaster, but let's say you've been in a car accident or some other traumatic experience where you see your child freeze. And so you're saying that that energy is caught in their body. That experience is, you were saying, is trapped in the creative side of their brain. Right. What steps can a parent take to help their child release that energy or metabolize that energy? And also, what are the signs that your your child might be traumatized and that you should be seeking uh, outside help? Those are great questions. So I'm going to tell you kind of what's not help. 
helpful to Great. kids. I love to start with do- what doesn't work. Okay. What doesn't work is you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. So what I try to give people to do are, are telling somebody just to calm down. So it's, you know, if it's a car accident or something that's just happened and saying, oh, whew. okay, it's over. Okay. That just happened. It's done. I'm here. You're safe. I'm safe. Can we look at our toes? Wiggle our toes. Let's wiggle our feet. And I know it takes a lot to do this, but if they're, right then they're kind of freaked out. It's telling them that they're safe. And then it's telling them that, you know, one, it's trying to get them to talk, but it's very, it's, that can be very difficult in the beginning because different ages will do um, they'll do different things. And for people who've never heard of any sort of uh, therapy for trauma, can you explain why wiggling your toes would be important right after you've been in a car accident? One, it's that there hadn't been a freeze. So it's like the car accident happens. So your child, let's say they're in the back, in the back seat and all that. And depending on their age, what you, you know, in terms of what you would say, but it's like, you know, um, I'm here right now. I'm, we're here. Oh, that was a big, that was a big bump or big boom. It's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. I know mommy knows what mommy knows what to do. Daddy knows what to do. Um, and, and so you'll hear, they'll start listening to, I, you know, I, we're okay. We're just going to sit here right now. Let's sit, let's sit in the car for a minute, you know, and part of that way, how you're saying it will calm them down. And so even if it takes, a minute or two for you to calm yourself down. If you're, if you're the person that's like, you know, here you're in the accident and all you're worried about is your child. Our instinct is to want to go and reach for them and grab them. Right. Because that's our natural instinct. I mean, how many parents, you know, when they, you know, when they have to break suddenly and they put their arm automatically out to hold Mm -hmm. their, the passenger or the kid there. Okay. When we're in that state, we're, as adults, we're not in our bodies either. It's like the same thing when our kid falls and they get hurt and want to run over and pick them up. When we go and we pick them up and we have that much energy, it's usually we create the bigger injury because all the kids will talk about, you hurt me when you picked me up. And the hardest thing to do would be once you're okay, is it first wait till you're okay, like trying to do some, some breaths, pushing your own feet into the ground will drop your energy down to your feet so you can actually feel your feet. You want to physically make sure you're okay. Because if let's say you have an injury and you can't get out of the car and uh, and then it's almost that, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to call 911 and the emergency people are going to come. And you know what? Those firefighters are going to know exactly what to do to help us both. But I want you to come sit back with me and say, you know, I can't because I'm going to wait and I'm going to listen to what the fireman tells me to do. And then that's what we're going to do. But I'm right here. You're safe. I'm safe. I just want, I want them to come and, and tell us that we're safe. And then they're going to open the doors. The younger they are, you want to break it down. They're going to tell us exactly what to do um, because these people know what to do. We'll use this car accident as the example, but obviously I think this also would apply Like, if you're, you are in Houston and you just had to be in a boat uh, with your child and, and you were taken to a shelter or any of these other, you know, massive moments in our lives. That's very helpful to say, okay, put your feet in the ground. That'll help your energy drop. Right. Is any of it about just sort of almost dissociating yourself so that you're able to be calm for your child? Because I think a lot of moms would be freaking out internally and so yeah. 
how do they, I guess, um, unpack that later? Later on is when it's the easiest. It's right in the moment. And, you know, look, at sometimes the fight, flight, or freeze response. Flight sometimes can be the hardest one because you, you, that's where you got to be careful of the kids and really kind of keep grabbing them so that they stay with you because their instinct, because it's, it's, it's an automatic in each person. Like, see a disaster, we both can stand next to each other. I might run in and you might run away, and that doesn't make one of us better than the other. It's just what we innately do. So I'm a freezer. <laughs> okay. Or, or some people just freeze, and, that, and that's just all that they can do. Yeah, I'm team freeze. <laughs> Stephanie, are you team freeze or you fighter? I probably fight and sometimes I stand very still. I'm not frozen, but I, I evaluate the whole situation. Oh, see, that's because you're an expert. <laughs> well, that's because I was a nurse and I did trauma and I did a lot of trauma nursing. And so sometimes you have to you have to slow down to make sure you have to triage a whole a whole emergency room. You have to figure out who needs us the most or in a disaster you know. California earthquakes. Yeah. You have to look at that whole parking lot that's filled with people and say, how do I number who goes in first and all that? So I tend to, I'm a looker and I take action. That's amazing. So going to afterwards. Okay. Yes. So they're after they got on the, they got on the boat and they're taken to a shelter. Now they've gotten a little cubby and they're in the, in their shelter. They've got, you know, they've got the cots, they've got food, they've got everything. That's when parents need to hold their kids, cuddle them. Um, it's a, to me, this is when it's okay to let them sleep with you. And when you start, you start talking to them a little bit. First of all, you tell them, "I'm right here," and you know, we're all here. Our family's right here. If somebody's not there, just then, just use who's there. And if your kid naturally says, so where is that? Where is that person? If you don't know, you can say, I don't know. They're probably were rescued by somebody else. You know, because sometimes you're not going to know. They're not, you're not going to know where all their friends are. Um, but it's like, I'm here, right? I'm here with you right now. Can you feel me? Can we're like, we're close to each other. You're safe. This is a safe place. They're giving us, they gave us a blanket. So you, you start breaking it down slowly for them. And, um, because, you know, it gets scary and we don't try to get them to talk, have the kids talk too much. If they naturally do it, then you just go ahead and you let them do that. Then, you know, uh, you got to give them room to talk about it. And it's like, they're like, but, but this happened, but that happened. And if they're naturally already saying it, look at them and go, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and, you know, we're, we're okay right now. And, you know, just like, don't try not to interrupt it and try not to fix it for them. And, you know, and this, and say, and what you can do, and what I'll usually do is say, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. I'm looking at my watch. I'm going to give you 10 minutes and you can talk all about it for 10 minutes. And then we're going to stop and then we're going to go do something else. So putting a limit on it. So that's not telling them they can't talk about it, but break it down into smaller dosages. Um, Yes. So that they're not just ruminating on it. Sort of the same thing you're saying with turn off the television, like that it just at a certain point, it's not beneficial to anyone if you just keep getting stuck in it. Now, my husband would have the instinct, I think, in a situation like this to try to turn it into an adventure. And I'm wondering if that is helpful or not helpful. Like if a child isn't um, 
if a child would be responsive, is that okay? Or does that then seem like a lie? Like if you say like, oh, we're on this, you know, if they're three years old, you know, we're going to go to this place. I mean, you can't sell a shelter like Disneyland, obviously, but it's, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's, <laughs> right. a, there right. is a parenting instinct sometimes to um, try to make think, something seem uh, less scary by right. making it seem adventurous. You can get to that place. What I'll do is that um, it's like, let's say they're talking, right? And then they're, and they keep looping and looping. And then your husband can say, and so let's, talk about what's let's change the ending and so the ending is because the kids are maybe stuck like thinking they're in the house or in the house or in the house and say so my ending might be that they came by and they had this big flat boat and they got each one of us out and you're laying on mommy I'm holding the baby and then they're taking us through the water and then they take us into this big place and they've got beds and they have blankets and they have food and they have people that know just what to do and then they're keeping us warm. That's how you change the story, but it's because you're just telling the kid the, the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. So do, yeah. Yeah, you I don't want to make a, you don't want to ever be caught in a lie. Right. You got to tell them the truth. So you want to, you want to figure out kind of like what they're trying to say. Cause usually they're, they're trying to tell you that they're scared and, you know, and sometimes you can say to your kids, so, okay, so hold on a minute. How big is your worry? Show me with your hands. And then they'll show you and say, do you need my hands too? And then it's like, you know, because sometimes once they bring something into awareness, then we can, then we can work with that, right? Because then we're, again, we're getting them, we're getting them to move, you know? And then we can say, boy, are you, is that worry bug just kind of bugging you and bugging you and bugging you? And um, tell your kid, you know what? You were, talk back to your worry bug, and they go, "I don't know how to." So give them a couple. So then, if your husband wants to do it, using kind of silly voices, and just you know, they can just say, you know, your husband come up with ways of saying, you know, stop bugging me, stop, go away, worry bug. I don't need you anymore. I'm fine. I'm drinking my juice. I'm okay. He can do that. So that's how you can talk back to the worry bug. So. We have some ideas for the children now with the moms. Like, what do we do? I grew up in Houston. I have a lot of friends who have children, and um, some of them mm-hmm. have written that they're lucky that their home is okay, but obviously their entire community has been um, destroyed, and they have almost survivor guilt about it and also right. fear. How do they take care of themselves without their child picking up on their you know, on their attention. Okay. So one of it is being incredibly mindful about excessive drinking, taking medications, all of those things. So it's, it's trying to remember to not do those things because it's so easy because it's like, oh, I'm so wound up, you know, having a drink will calm me down and all of that. So, I mean, it's being mindful of how much you're drinking. It's going back to, um, well, if, okay, so if their house is perfectly fine, but everybody else's and all that, it's being, then it's being creative and saying, and saying with the family and say, we are, we are so blessed. And so since we are so blessed, we're going to do things to help our community because we care about other people. Taking an action, even if it's a small thing, I mean, it really does, it really does make a huge difference for people when they start seeing it's like, I'm thinking, why are all these people in line? Because it was, it was, um, 
between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they're going, oh, they're trying to get their um, coupon so they can try to have a little bit of a Christmas with a meal and all that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is just awful. So I came back and I went to all my private schools and I said, do you guys want to be on a mission with me? I said, I want to give, I said, I want to provide Christmas. I said, let's do for 20,000 people. We ended up raising so much that we provided we provided Christmas for probably close to 30,000 families because we all just felt terrible. So it just felt like there was something to do. So, and this is all fundraising. This is all getting schools involved. So these are all kids leading the charge on that. And then, of course, families were willing, only too happy to do something. So if you're actually living in the area, they don't have to go into to the disaster zone. They can start planning for things as things clean up of let's look at things that we can do that would be helpful to the, um, to our community. It's like, I okay, I'm fine because I'm supposed to do something to help. So taking an action will help. Not watching the news all the time, you know, will also help because they have to be mindful of their own, of their own children because their own children are freaked out because kids, you know, understand things. If it happened to me, can it, it's like, why didn't this happen to me? It only happened to all these other kids and they can suddenly have, you know, the good news is that kids can be incredibly compassionate and they can feel bad for these other kids. And that's when a parent needs to say, so what do you think those other kids need? It's a, so instead of telling, asking your kid, what do you feel about this, which kind of clams them up, you ask it, so what do you, what do you think those kids are feeling? So they can answer you that. And that's how, if they're telling you how they feel, that's how they're feeling. It's what I do even in my therapy all the time. I talk about other kids and, let, and, they, and then the kid that's in with me tells me all about themselves because they're, you know, I'll say, well, how does your friend, that does that feel? And then say what you know, and then you can say to the kids, like, what do you think? What do you think those kids need? What do you think we should do? Let your kids come up with ideas, even if it seems like, well, that's not going to do much. Do it anyways. You know, even if they say, I'm going to go through my closet and I'm going to get, I'm going to get clothes that I don't need anymore, and we're going to give it to them. That's a great idea. Let them do it because it's something that they can do, and the parent will feel better because part of it is like. They're feeling guilty that their kids are, they're feeling relieved that their kids are okay, but they also feel, you know, for the grace of God, that could be me. And, you know, and that, that's their own other thing. They have to be careful of their kids sneaking to watch what's going on because then they get that vicarious trauma and they'll start having nightmares because even the kids that didn't witness it will start having some post-traumatic stress dis- um, disorders. And part of why I tend to think it's just my thought is that um, we think because they survived it and they weren't a part of it, that they don't have, um, that they're not affected by it, but it's, it's their whole community. Everything's kind of washed away and there's so many limitations and everybody's so upset and everything's um, dysregulated. And they're going to start school again and they're going to be in class with these other children. Exactly. Exactly. It's like when the kids hear about, you know, it's like Sandy Hook. Of course, none of the kids in Los Angeles live in Sandy Hook, but they knew that that a guy came in there, a boy came in there, and he, he shot up the school. All these kids were here still worrying. They were worrying every night. Is it going to happen to me? Is it going to happen to me? And the parents were equally concerned. Should we hire more security guards? Should we put bulletproof windows? I mean, all they played out the same scenario because then that means it could happen here. You know, it's like telling kids, no, we don't have 
hurricane Tahir, but we have other things. So, you know, they do worry. Don't assume they're okay. So by volunteering, by talking about their feelings, um, you know, through your example of saying, you know, how do you think those children feel? Because that's probably how our own children are feeling. Um, Right. And using the resourcing tools you gave us at the beginning of the episode. um, Right. That that would help. Would you also say that any sort of uh, sleep training can go out the window, that if your child wants to sleep with you, just to go ahead and do it for a while? Yes, exactly. all, All that stuff has to go out. Yeah, all bets are off when it comes to yeah. Yeah, okay. all bets are off. Okay, right. and then what right. about the mothers that that have lost everything? Um, you know, it will be a lifelong change for them. What are just like the first two steps that they can take to start healing? Well, the first few steps I think that they that really need to take is um, doing some self care, and. Um, so that means, you know, those that, the ones that are not sleeping, trying to get them to sleep and, you know, and, and trying to put something back in their tank, trying to get those mothers to, um, if other people are offering to help them to say yes, because sometimes they just automatically, um, you know, they're just like, no, you know, they just, they just kind of want this false sense of being okay. Because what you have right now is that everybody's in that crisis mode. Mm-hmm. And then part of why when trauma teams usually go in three, about three months after something happens, as soon as they usually six weeks, because they're just, everybody's too freaked out. Yep. And, um, and in trauma, it's, it's interesting, like with the Columbine kids, um, after that shooting happened, there were, we, there was a lot of us that were in there right away helping. But what he, but I said is we got to go back in three months. And they thought I was crazy. And because I said, that's when the bottom drops out because life gets back to normal. People forget. It's like people will move off. They'll be very focused on this for a period of time, but their recovery that they're going to be doing in Texas, you know, is going to take a few years, but after about, you know, three months, Everybody's kind of getting back to normal, and that's usually when the bottom drops out for the kids because that's when they start having a little bit more nightmares. Like Kind of like as, as the parents are just starting to feel better, like, okay, we got our loan. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to be doing this. They start you know, putting things together, and then suddenly sometimes that's when their kids start having problems mm-hmm. because it's just it's that transitional period of time that you know, younger kids, littler kids will do it much sooner than that. Um, you know, they'll be fussy on and off. I've joked on the podcast many times that like, if I'm um, going through a rough patch, all I have to do is look in the calendar and see what happened three months before. Cause that's sort of my, right. my timeline of when I actually start feeling the thing from three months ago. So it's interesting right, to me exactly. that that is uh, also true um, with the trauma with children. And when, and so you're saying with the mothers at that point, that's when it gets hard again, or it's a different level of hard because then their children start processing. Um, so they need to right. be there more for their child, but at the same time, life is starting to pick up again and there's less support. So to accept help from others, to focus on self-care, if you're trying to find a therapist, uh, do you have any suggestions about what to look for? Try to work with people that work um, with trauma, that deal, that are trauma experts, that really know how to deal with these kinds of things. Um, you know, and I always say to parents, 
Do not just stick your, it's like, okay, I'm going to send this kid to this therapist. You go and meet the therapist first. I won't work with a child unless I meet the parents first. Well, I've got to see if it's a good fit. You may like my style. You may not like my style. It's, it's not personal. Or you might look at my office and say, you know, this won't work for my, for my child. And that's perfectly fine. And then let them give you a referral because it's got to be a right match because as much as I know, and a lot of other really smart therapists know, nobody knows your child better than you do. And so if that therapist style and how they would work with you isn't congruent, it's like they're giving you suggestions because you should have good interview questions for them. And they're giving you suggestions and you're kind of going, that's not our style. We wouldn't be able to do that. It just means that's not the right therapist for you. That doesn't mean you're looking for somebody who's going to disagree with you. It just means you got to look for somebody who's going to be congruent with you. That's because really good advice for, for you. Yeah, go on. Yeah. No, because if it works for you, it'll work for your child. Right. And that's great advice for both finding a therapist for yourself and also for your kid. We're running out of exactly. time, but I'd love to just ask you about um, grieving, um, you know, the loss of a community or of a home or of a pet or of grandma's house. Like what? Um, because that might seem like a random example, but I saw on Facebook someone saying that, you know, their children are really upset because they'll never get to go to their favorite place again, which was their grandmother's home. Right. And this week when we're releasing this episode, I think is the time when a lot of people will start going back to their homes. Right. To go through uh, their belongings. And what could those parents say to their children should they take them back to the house? I mean, it's probably not safe. How do they talk about the fact that their home is, they won't be home ever again? It's like hard for me to even like get the words out because I think it's just too much for me to even like wrap right. my brain around, let, let alone like my mouth. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, it is. It, it that, And you're right. I mean, look, there, there's, that is probably the most painful scene of, of all of it. But yes, I mean, yeah, I'd leave your kids with a safe person, but then don't take your kids back first because you don't, you don't know what you're seeing. And you also don't know if it's actually um, a disaster zone. So you, that you really, that it would be, would be um, unsafe to actually bring them back to the house. But it's also parents, they're entitled to have their first, their own experience first before having to deal exactly with your child. At that, at that moment, because it's just, let them go, you go through all your reactions and the crying and the tears and like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Um, I would always tell parents to bring a camera. I mean, fortunately, so many people have phones. They can take pictures with the phone, take pictures of the house, if it, you know, because it may be the only thing that they're going to be able to show their child. Um, down the road, you there needs to be an acknowledging um of the kids in terms of just, you know, saying how, you know, it's sad that houses go away, but houses are just, that's what's in the, around us, but our home is really our whole family. Now, when they say, but I lost the cat, I lost the dog, or I lost, or why did grandpa die? Why did grandma die? And say in that, in that's a much harder, you know, obviously that's much harder and, you know, that will require, that's going to have a funeral and then the kids definitely should go to the funeral and then they should write letters. But I also think that, you know, grieving a pet, they can, there's actions that they can do. And then, and then grieving, losing a house. I mean, that was a big thing that happened in, in Louisiana and I, I did the kids program. And so one of the things I did is that I worked on, I worked with some of the kids on being sad about losing their house, that that house is no longer there. 
and you know, and you know, and they were sad. All their to- usually it was that they were sad. All their toys went away, and it's not the instant fixes. And I'm going to give you all new toys, and now look at all the new toys that you have. It's like, yeah, that is sad, you know. And the kids will go through all the stages of death and dying, kind of thing. The shock, the sadness. They'll be long, you know, like no, but that house was the best house ever in the entire planet. We'll never have another house. Or how long are we going to be living in this, you know, when they're living in the communal living places or the temporary housing? You know, say, I'm not, I don't know how long. I don't know how long we're going to be in this situation, but we have to stay here because this is where we're safe. And it takes a long time to rebuild. But they need to be able to go through different grieving pro- um, times with, with, with it. When, once you guys stabilize out more, families can come together and actually kind of go through missing and having to get a little ceremony about, you know, missing their house and, you know, but, and they'll talk about all the things that are in there. But what's important is that um, when kids are feeling things, you know, the three month mark, I just wanted to tell you is in three months, some kids are five or six months. When your kid is suddenly feeling irritable and they're feeling withdrawn and they're not feeling themselves and they're being incredibly irritable, it's saying to them, not asking them how they're feeling, just it's even you just saying, just take it on yourself because you as a parent can't say, gosh, three months, I can't believe that this is going on. I'm still thinking about this. Boy, it makes me feel so sad. And that alone will help re-regulate your child. It's when people want to pretend it never happened. It's like when they wanted this to tear down Columbine High, as if that was going to take away the tragedy that happened. That doesn't take away the tragedy. It's just you know, it's not the building. It's just what happened inside. So there's that, you know, there's that sense, but it's really just talking about it and, and having, um, just letting them have their feelings about how it's not fair that we, you know, a lot of it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Some kids will go through a God crisis. Like, why did God do this to us? And that's when it's acts of nature and not acts of God. Like they didn't, nobody did something bad to make this happen. This just is something that just happened. And, but, you know, we, you know, but, but we were rescued. Remember when they came and they took us out of the house and all that, but all my stuff is left back there. Or they didn't take the dog. And they said, I know we, they had to choose people first before they could choose the dog. And, you know, are we ever going to have a dog again? And say, yeah, we can do that. We can't do it right now. We can't do it until we got a house that we're going to live in again. And, you know, you could, it's like, you don't want to overpromise kids. It's mm-hmm. the same way. It's like structure, structure, structure. The hardest part in Louisiana was being able to get these kids back in school because school is so, um, it adds so much structure because there's a lot of things that the schools can do. I mean, one, they don't have to get the same academic load, but just being to school, one, it gives parents a break. Mm-hmm. So the minute parents can put their kids back in school, send their kids to school, send them with their resource list, send them with a, you know, a little pocketbook that's in there, let them go to school being, they'll be somewhat anxious. And then just telling your kid, I'm here, I'm going to pick you up after school. You have to, you don't promise something that you're not going to do. Make sure, you know, it's like if it's somebody else, a different parent picking them up, let it then tell them that because they need, it requires exquisite communication. It really requires more communication. And, you know, and, and families need to come up with like, what are things that we can do? So when we're not together and we're feeling anxious, 
we can all of us have the ability to kind of push our feet into the ground or make our feet like do a little marching with our feet. And we can do that. The other thing that they can do is called 448 breathing. So you inhale to the count of four, you hold it for the count of four, and you exhale to the count of eight. And so families, if they practice it, they inhale the four, hold it for four, and then exhale to count of eight, automatically brings in the parasympathetic nervous system, which relaxes the body. And then they'll be able to focus a little bit more, and I'll, and I'll give them more room to actually breathe and look and and all of that, um, where they can just calm their body. That's a that's a nice, real easy thing that they can do. They also can take their index finger and their thumb, and they can squeeze those together as tight as they can and just tell them, put all your energy right there and keep squeezing, squeezing, and squeezing. And then tell them whenever they feel ready, tell them to open their hands as slowly as they want to and just watch their fingers open. And then they'll watch what happens to the top, to their bodies. All of that will calm their bodies down. With the real little ones, when they kind of go, I, they just do this with the breathing with, you know, they just kind of blow yeah. all the air out. Give, give them the straw and say, so let's breathe in through the straw. Let's hold it and let's breathe out through the straw. Automatically slows them down. It's also a trick if you ever have to take blood or give a shot to a kid. If yeah. you do the straw technique, you can't tense your body up at the same time as you're exhaling. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So it's, yeah. I'm going to use that one if yeah. I ever have to, if I ever uh, get waxed again. <laughs> yeah. I'll breathe out. Do, right you, just, the minute, you just tell them, when, tell me when they go, okay, go. And then the whole time they're doing it, go, <laughs> and just keep breathing out and, you, and you'll relax. Um, oh my gosh, Stephanie, I'm going to beg you. I'm going to just um, uh, stalk you and you're a therapist. So I'm sure you're used to that. Um <laughs> Honestly, this has been so insanely helpful that I am going to keep begging and begging you to come back on again. Uh, I feel like we have so much more to talk about. And I, I am so in awe of all the work you do with first responders and with schools. Thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms and sharing uh, all of this information with us. Again, I emailed you yesterday and you were willing to jump on the phone today. And I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to reach out and help more people. And uh, I hope that, you know, if I help even one other person, then, you know, it was a good thing and maybe, and they'll pay it forward, but I'd be honored to be back anytime you want me to. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. Subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Please leave a review if you found this helpful. That uh, helps our ranking, which helps other mothers find us. Um, go to atomicmoms.com for our show notes and reach out on social media at Atomic Moms on Instagram and on Facebook. You can just search Atomic Moms Podcast. Until next week, everybody, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Atomic Moms.